Hey, and welcome to Gizmo Sapien Show 227, not 277. That'd be awesome if we'd done 50 shows and we didn't know it. Uh, we might have to actually listen to our own stuff at some point. <laughs> We're going to call this one Summertime and the Living is Easy, or at least that's what the government wants to tell us. But uh, it's been a while. There hasn't really been a whole lot going on. Um, I mean, it's summertime. Uh, I think the biggest thing is the, the writer's strike slash SAG after actor's strike going on. and But <clears throat> I don't know how that's going to affect things. Um, with me today is Matt, by the way. Hello. And, um, and stuff. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of weird. Um, but the summer, because... Right now, we still have lots of new content, and new shows are starting, but, you know, it's also the summertime, so they're not putting out as much new stuff. Um, I do want to talk about some of that. Um, so, uh, let's start with, with my favorite thing, which is Star Trek. So, Star Trek Strange New Worlds um, has premiered since we last talked, after... A hiatus after the end of Star Trek Picard and its third season, <clears throat> and I for overall I, I've thought the the season has been enjoyable. I've watched many of the episodes multiple times at this point. Um, there's been a lot of good one-liners, you know, which has made Strange New Worlds very memeable. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. Like, one of my favorite lines was in the last episode where, where Pike is talking to Una, and he goes, but but the, uh, but, but flipping, flipping it is, the, is, the, is, the, best is part. the best part. You know, when they were talking about communicators, as she's showing him Boimler's communicator. And by the way, if you haven't watched any of this, there's spoilers. But the last episode of Strange New Worlds was the, uh, <clears throat> called TOS, Those Old Scientists. And it was a crossover from... Lower Decks to Strange New Worlds, which I think they did an incredibly good job writing that together, because I know that that had been, they had talked that that was going to be in, in this season, that there was going to be a crossover between Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds, and I was like, how are they going to play it? You know, <clears throat> how, do, how do you justify it? How do you make it work together? How do you um, make the continuity happen without it being extremely awkward and I think they did a great job of it. I mean it's going to be in Strange New Worlds it's just like the episode with from the first season uh, with Hemmer and the Gorn Um, I just think it's going to be one of the the most notable episodes of of any Star Trek show you know it'll be it's representative of Star Trek I should say I was so pleased with that crossover episode it's become my favorite of Strange New Worlds I'm not sure it breaks my top 10 yet of all time but I don't know if it breaks my top 10 it was pretty good but it was really good I really enjoyed it now I, I will say while I didn't hate any of these episodes I will say that the, uh, they've been a little flat. 
the to be honest, I, I will definitely say that the season opener, or not the season opener, but the the second episode with Una and uh, the, the trial, the trial, yeah. and all that. Uh, that is to me that has been the low point in the season so far. And frankly, after Thursday of this week, there there's there's only one episode left because episode nine, which is the musical episode, which we're I've watched the the uh, the preview several times uh, because they put the preview out last week. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm kind of scratching my head on that one, going, "Ooh, you know, how how is this going to play?" Now, from I've watched some things about the making of the episode, and they've talked about that they actually, unlike a lot of shows who do like a musical episode, they 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 at least techno babble enough to explain why it's a musical up you know what happens and why it's happening um now from a you look at the cast and from what the cast is capable of doing i think they probably really enjoyed it now i'm i i don't think it will be a horrible episode but it may not be my favorite i mean because before uh season two came out i tried to rewatch all of season one and i made it to the uh, Mbenga episode where he's telling the story to his daughter, <laughs> and while there are funny moments in that episode, <sighs> I d- got awful. I don't like that episode. I, I don't want to watch it. But you know, a lot of people do say that that's one of their favorites. Yeah. Which, to each their own. Uh, I didn't particularly care for it. I didn't like it the first time, uh, and I haven't watched it since. So, um, no. but. I would rank that along with the, oh, we have Amnesia episode. I didn't particularly care for that out of this season. Yeah, actually, I... It was okay, but it wasn't... So that episode reminded me more of classic Trek TOS than than almost any other episode that they've done in Strange New Worlds. Uh, It it was a very remnant... It was... the, The trial episode was very court martial esque Yeah. Uh, this this last episode that we didn't talk about in between the singing and the the cartoons is a very dark episode yes that i thought was really probably some of the best trek we've seen out of this crew yes because it touched on it touches on some really deep issues that I think affect particularly like our veteran community. Yes, no, absolutely, and I and I agree. I, I think that was I, I I thought it was a good episode too. Uh, it's not one though that I'm like to rewatch over and over again. Oh yeah, no, it's not going to be like City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah, you know, I mean it's it's no space seed. I'll give you that. Yeah, but I am looking. I mean. I, I'm and oddly enough, I enjoyed the season opener. Um, that even though it didn't have Pike, I, I liked the whole story there with Spock and and all of that. And uh, and I have been enjoying the the uh, Spock Chapel relationship and how that's come forward and and how they played it with T'Pring and all this because they I th- I think they're they're. Because the problem when in TOS when they did they they did the episode with um, 
what was it where Spock went into Ponfar and a mock time a mock time that's it I'm getting old you're good but there wasn't a whole lot of explanation it was it was kind of like this standalone episode that all of a sudden gives us a little bit more uh, Vulcan cultural background than we've ever gotten before and it was not I mean I love that episode um because there's so you know the music and the 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 battle with Kirk and Spock with the lyrics very 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 memeable yeah um but there wasn't a lot of background to kind of tell you or that to prepare you for what these cultural changes that they were trying to present as Vulcan culture to you now they built upon that in the movies and later TNG and and other stuff but at, at that point you didn't see it and I think in Strange New Worlds, they're almost going back and they're they're trying to show you that there was this relationship between Spock and T'Pring, but their duties were taking them farther apart. And they're they're kind of expanding the Spock story. I know a lot of people keep saying that, well, Spock's not acting like, you know, they're breaking canon by doing this and bringing in. I'm like, but, you know, they really were that's not really true. That's right. Because if you watch, if you watch The Cage... Uh, Spock's got some some pretty emotional moments in e- that. Exactly. Exactly. And the cage is supposed to happen during this run. Correct. It, it's supposed to be at the end of when they decide if they're going to run five seasons or seven seasons or whatever of, te- of Strange New World. So, I, I don't... The Spock characterization... The way he's being played. I will say this about Ethan Peck and, and and his portrayal of Spock. Something that disturbed me was I had heard him say that he no longer looks to Leonard Nimoy for um, his inspiration for how to play the character, which to me is a little disappointing. I don't know. I, I'm. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, because at some point you have to make the character your own. I, and, I don't disagree and, with you know, that. And Zachary Quinto, in the in the Kelvin Trek movies, Kelvin Universe movies, you know, looked to Leonard Nimoy um, for inspiration, and I don't think he did a good job. I think Ethan Peck is a much better Spock than than he was. Um, uh, and I actually I really like how they are portraying Ahura and we're learning the background on her um, now there's a couple things that do bother me uh, and, and they don't bother me. one of them doesn't bother me in a bad way it's just uh, I do see it as kind of a break from canon but it doesn't bother me I mean I wouldn't I, it's not. It's not like a showstopper. Like, well, it's it's such a thing that. Uh, but Doctor Mbenga, who is the chief medical officer, and then in TOS under Kirk is an assistant medical officer to McCoy. That that is a continuity issue, but I can forgive that one. Well, I think because uh, I re- well one I really like the character. I really think they have written the stories and given background and expanded that character quite a bit. Because uh, frankly, in TOS, Mbenga is this somewhat reoccurring throwaway character, kind of like Rand. Well, it, 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 he's already done a couple of things that would warrant a demotion. Yes. 
So I, I'm not even sure that it's it breaks canon. Exactly. Yet. I mean, they they could. Exactly. <clears throat> well, just the fact alone that the Federation considered his his uh, super drug to battle Klingons and hand to hand combat uh, as not not uh, genetic uh, augmentation. Yeah. Is a little is a little much to ask, but I mean, I I really enjoy. I also enjoyed you know how they've they because frankly, Nichelle Nichols, even though her role in the '60s doing that role and being part of the command crew was such a groundbreaking experience and made her a role model, um, but frankly, she was a lot of a, a lot of times she was window dressing on on the bridge again all of most of the female characters in TOS I mean Ensign Rand was window dressing she I mean in the three seasons of TOS she had maybe what six lines five lines I, somebody can correct me but and none of them do I really think were memorable um, but you know Ahura uh, at least Ahura actually had <laughs> had a little bit more of a role, you know, uh, first interracial kiss. Uh, so she had quite a bit of dialogue in that episode. She had quite a bit of dialogue in... Um, um, we even talked about this episode. I'm having a total, like, TOS blockage today. Uh, the Edith Keeler episode. City on the Edge City of Fur. Yeah, on the Edge of Fur. She had quite a... Uh, in the beginning of that episode and the end of that episode, she had... Uh, her, her role there was was you know more than just a piece of, of window dressing but for the most part when you talk about three seasons of the show you don't really get to know her and even later in the movies you don't really get to know her and I like the background that they've given her that you know and and I think uh, Gooding has played a a played her immaculately well the, the only thing that really bugs me and it this is this is me now nitpicking I don't like her choice of hairstyle other than that that doesn't even bother me other than that I'm, and that's what I'm saying I'm, at yeah. this point I'm, now I'm nitpicking yeah that's more personal preference then. which well I mean I, I don't know how you go from nearly bald to 60's bouffant in however many years we have of yeah. Strange New Worlds I I just I don't know. Maybe she wore a wig. And maybe I don't know. <laughs> I, maybe I'd love for her to to go to the last episode, slap on a wig, and and yeah. and let's have that be the 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 final pick of the knit. Because <laughs> like I said, I I know that's being nitpicky, but that one that one bugs me about her. Until yeah. I find something else that bugs me about her, that's what will bug me about her. So, uh, like I said, we have this week's episode and next week's episode, which will be 9 and 10. Uh, this week's episode is the musical episode. Um, from the preview, it looks entertaining. But whether it is a great storyline or not, it'll be interesting to see. Um but they, I'll tell you, one thing they have done is the hegemony is the, the last episode. I think that's the title of it. Maybe. Hold on, Hold on a minute. Let me 
Let me go to the interwebs where I have information. If and... only we had a, a device yeah. that could answer questions like that. You know, uh, another nitpick, and I'll, and I'll ask you this question. Does the Enterprise itself bug you? So, when you look at it compared to the TOS, it's certainly a more modern vibe. It's more like the Kelvin movies. It looks like an Apple store on the inside of it. Particularly Pike's Quarters, which I like that. The, the white and the creams and the wood tabletops and stuff but and, and even Spock's quarters but I'll tell you to me that's more realistic looking than the TOS so that part doesn't bother me as much plus you know there were things like I was watching a show the other day and they were talking about it was it was a show on technology but they were talking about TOS as an example uh, they were talking about uh, teletype machines which pre were the, the precursor to terminals that, you know, to access, you know, the original computers systems that businesses and the U.S. government and everybody else used. Um, but they said that, you know, even in Star Trek in the 60s, the teletype was so prominent that behind the computer voice, they had the teletype information or teletype sound going on. Yep. And so they thought that that was a, in the 60s, that was a current representation of computing. And then they added the whole voice interface and all of that but the more the screens that are more like what we have today that are built into the panels and then that the the apple i i still i'm going to call it the apple store look because i mean that their designers kind of created that but you know with the natural wood within the white and creams and and all of that and it's it's brightly but indirectly lit that's the other thing uh, that's probably more, I guess in my mind, it's more realistic than the gunmetal gray that, you know, that uh, the Enterprise quarters were painted and the corridors were. Uh, that, that was more reminiscent of, you know, post-World War II and, and, and everything else. None of that really... It doesn't bother me. Bother me. What does bother me about the Enterprise herself is the nacelle struts. Because now they're making it look like the A long before that's even a thing. Thing, yeah. That's very true. That's very true. So did, but, we, get, did we get a title on this last yeah, episode? Yeah, give me a... Or are you still working on it? I'm still working on it. Hold on. Uh, I distracted you with the... Uh, Yes, she did. With, with the Enterprise as a character question. So, Subspace Rhapsody is this episode. Um, saying that an experimental... An accident with an experimental quantum probability field caused everybody on the Enterprise to break uncontrollably into, strong, into song. That's the, the uh, basis. Okay. But the real danger is that the field is expanding and be, beginning to impact other ships, allies, and enemies alike. Oh, I, I have no interest in a Klingon opera. But one of the things I love that Paramount has done with all the episodes 
and season two. I don't know if they ever did this with season one, but they built like '60s era art type posters for them. Oh yes, and they're beautiful. They are. I mean, they're just, amazing. I I want to. I would buy them and frame them and hang them. I mean, they're that good looking. Some of those, uh, the fan art has been as good. There's a a, a series of uh, Strange New Worlds does not do a title card. No, they don't. Uh, so fans have been building title cards, and some of those are amazing. I have not seen those. I have not seen those. But, like I said, two more episodes of Strange New Worlds. So that gets us through um, this week, the first week of August, and then next week, the second week of, well, the first full week of August. And then we're going to have a few weeks break, and then in early September we get Lower Decks, the next season of Lower Decks. And then I'm assuming that'll run pretty close to Thanksgiving Christmas, and then we will have a, a couple week break, and then supposedly, for those who love Discovery, uh, Discovery Season 5 will, uh, which is the final season of Discovery, will broadcast in early 2024. It's already done. What I found interesting about that, though, is is that uh, there was an interview with Frakes somewhere. He, he directed the last episode, and... Actually, he directed the last two episodes. He was saying that they didn't know it was going to be the last episode series wrap until very late in the process. Like, they'd done principal photography and they'd bring people back to wrap up some things so they could make it a, a series, series finale. finale. Interesting. I'm not surprised, though. I mean, frankly, season one was not stellar of Star Trek Discovery. I mean, there were some stellar episodes, like the episode... Uh, with uh, with Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd, um, and even the the episode that preceded it, where they introduced Harry Mudd with Ash Tyler and, and Captain Lorca, um, I think those th- those episodes were good. Um, I actually one of the episodes I enjoyed in the first season was the episode where and I can't remember the name of it, but where they were going to. They went to that planet, and they were going to... Because they thought it was uninhabited to build a, a communications relay. And then found out that there was life form. It was it was, it was kind of the the coming together of the Saru-Burnham. Um, I thought that was a decent episode in Season 1. But, you know, like a lot of Star Trek, Season 2 is where Discovery got good. But largely it got good because they brought in Pike... Uh, they brought in the Enterprise. They brought in Spock. Um, but when they jumped the shark after the end of that that season, and they you know went nine hundred years into the future or whatever it was, the show got really weird really quick. Um, and it didn't need to go there. No, it that's did not. The, that's the that's the struggle for me is. There were there were a couple of characters that I was like, okay, I I kind of like this character, but I would rather this character be on another show. Yeah. Uh, and then that character well, pretty much left the show, and they started talking about this character with another show, and I was like, well, maybe that's going to happen. 
but uh, I, I don't know. Discovery's really just kind of bothered me. It has for a while. Well, since the beginning of season three, Discovery has not been. I wouldn't call it a great representation of Star Trek at all. Um, I think they have continuity issues. Uh, there's, you know, one of the things about Star Trek, and it was one of the things that that was a difference between Star. One of the differences between Star Trek, which is science fiction, and Star Wars, which is space opera, was the attention to detail. And yes, the techno babble, that has to be part of. That is part of science fiction, you know. Uh, and you know, one of the things about techno babble and and. and and science fiction and when you start getting into the technology you know they have these things you can you can do the space opera thing whereas you just don't talk about it but it it's something that you represent in the culture as something ubiquitous that everybody knows about like lightsabers and blasters and light speed or you go the science fiction route which <coughs> they take a premise that exists within the good science fiction writers take a premise that exists within science and then they they take it to the next level and you know uh and postulate well if this is the scientific thing that they discovered maybe this is what the engineers figured out how to do with it and come to find out a lot of that has come true uh in star trek like star trek communicators cell phones um and like william shatner said in his interview the cell phone's so much better than the communicator, but then Star Trek started doing the opposite, and that is communicators became more like cell phones in the in the show. Um, but you know, the warp drive and the fact that physicists have figured out that hey, that that idea of the warp drive and the way they kind of explained it is correct. You know, you're riding on a you can ride on a a bubble, you know, on the curvature of space, and so you know we. We have people who, on a very small scale today, are testing that and and finding out that those concepts work. Now, well, you know, a thousand years from now, is all might have the technology to to make that a reality to you know drop you through space. But <coughs> you know, it's the funny thing is, is warp drive is not the only piece of technology you have to kind of have. That that's just the mode. How do you stop? How do you keep you from you know becoming a red smear <laughs> of atoms? <laughs> I mean, all of that, you know, so it, it's not like, you know, even if they perfected warp drive today that we would be able to send people out into space and warp all over. It, it would be useless without inertial dampening. Yeah, exactly. I, I would, 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 and artificial gravity and would be another. Shields. Uh, numerous technologies involved to make that technology actually work. Well, I mean, you got to look at it like a car. You know, yes, you can make the engine go. And you can make the engine propel wheels that makes you go forward, but what it, how do you steer it? How do you stop it? You know? <laughs> so, you know, there, there, it's not a single, single thing that's going to be the uh, arbiter of, of whether we adopt this technology anytime soon. You can't legislate it into place. <laughs> Although I'm sure they'll try. I'm sure they will, too. So uh, let's move on from Star Trek. I, I don't have a whole lot of detail on, on Lower Decks Season 4, is it now? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, the, uh, the poster is, is uh, Voyage Home ripoff. So yeah. So we're into Season 4 there. We're in Season 4. So 
Uh, that being said, I, I don't have a lot of detail yet. They've been pretty, I'll tell you, they've been pretty good about keeping the lid tight on, Paramount has, on the stuff that they don't want you to know until they want you to know it. Which I think they uh, learned a lot of that from from the Shatner era movies. Yes, where so too. things got out and that didn't really help much. Yep. So let's move to. I'm gonna totally switch veins, Please. but it's all Disney properties from this point on. Okay. Uh, let's talk Marvel. Let's. Secret Invasion was horrible. Oh my god. Could it not be any more boring? And, and to have such talent... <laughs> you have two amazing actors yeah. in Samuel L. Jackson and Amelia Clark. Yep. And neither one of them got to, to really act. Well, it, and it was... But it was boring. It was like, it was like watching Blake Seven from the seventies. Have you ever watched Blake Seven? It was BBC's answer to Star Wars. And actually, sometimes that show was better than Secret Invasion. <laughs> but the other thing about Secret Invasion is that it's it it was a very dramatically different kind of show than any of the other Marvel shows. In that, it was supposed to be a spy thriller. They got the spy part kind of right. The thriller part, they really... They, yeah, they didn't really get that. Didn't deliver on, in my opinion. No. Well, and the other thing is, the enemy, or, or the protagonist in the show, I, I was like, but he's not really that big a protagonist. And, and don't get me wrong, they had fight scenes, and you know they did the whole Marvel thing where, you know, it, they, you know, superhero-type battling it out and all this other stuff. But it, even that was slow and, and tiresome, and it, it's like they used, basically, and they probably did. I have a feeling a lot of the fight scenes were things that they had already modeled in CGI, and then they just put new skins on the models, and then applied that CGI in front of a different background, because Mar or Disney itself is running out of money. Well, I... I will say this about the the final fight between Amelia and the antagonist, you, who yeah. who that was a it was a good fight, and the innovation there was the the switching between the 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 Avenger uh, powers, yeah. yeah, which was kind of cool. Kind of. Uh, I mean, we got to see some new things that we didn't know those original characters could actually do, Dude, yeah. which is, again, kind of cool, but uh, how they went about doing that... Mm. But even, even I'm, I'm watching that, and I'm looking at the fight, and I'm like, this is kind of slow. You know, there, there was all kinds of time and space between when one of them would punch one, and the other one would roll on the ground like they were hurt, and then, you know... It took them ten minutes to get up, and and then they would hit the other one, and this whole process would start over again. It's like it's like two ninety-year-olds having a boxing match. <coughs> I felt like it was predictable too. Yes, it was very predictable. Which at this point, <coughs> a Nick Fury show can't be predictable. 
No. It just can't. And thank God there's not no second season of this show. But Disney has been hurting so bad at the box office. Um, with every movie they put out, they're not making their money back. Uh, so some of the people I listen to, other podcasters, but they work in the entertainment industry. They work on the comic book end. They, one of the guys was a writer and, and uh, illustrator for comic books for years and worked for you know, Marvel and DC and, and other things. And he and his wife have a podcast. They're called Clownfish TV on YouTube. And then they also have a just an audio podcast. But they've been talking a lot about Disney because as they changed careers or their, their careers matured, they kind of became a, a... They were one of the leading experts on Disney stuff. Cause, and they were invited to all the Disney... Um, Events and things like that, and at one point, I think one or both of them worked at Disney, so they had some insider information, you know, that allowed them access to these events. And um, but they know the comic book industry extremely well, and and they've been following this and watching the the not only the shows but particularly the movies what have come out, and you know, Disney's putting, you know. 60 million dollars into this movie and 220 million dollars in this one and they're they're not recouping that money and you know you think oh well they put 220 million dollars in they they don't need you know they if they make their 220 million they, but no they almost have to double it to to double their movie because the way that distribution rights and deals work in different countries and and all of this stuff and and so Disney's really hurting and uh, they said that's why the quality of shows like even in the Mandalorian uh, the CGI, like the episode this last season where Grogu is doing all kinds of flips and stuff, and it's it's like they took a, it, it's worse than you know, like nineteen late nineteen seventies Jim Henson, uh, hmm. uh, Muppets, you know, <laughs> and, and they said that you know likely a lot of of what we're seeing you know using less CGI and. and and stuff like that is because they're trying to cut costs. But they do believe, and one of the things I'm going to bring up since we already talked about SAG-AFTRA, um, the you know the actors and writers strike is one of the big issues um, that's going on. Is it, there's been a whole slew of canceled movies or delayed movies or and canceled television shows and projects. And part of that, uh, they think the movie industry wanted to have a strike. Because it gave them an excuse to write down all of this outstanding debt that they had. And 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 they could kind of clean the slate of, of a whole bunch of projects that, you know, when they first greenlit them sounded good, but they're realizing they don't want to do these projects because it's more of the same of the stuff that, that is causing them to lose money. And I, I think we're seeing that at Disney, too. Uh, <clears throat> you know, they're... They've put a halt on new Marvel activity. They've put a halt on new, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, new Star Wars movie production, and every evidently every Star Wars television show, they're, you know, going through with a fine tooth comb to determine whether or not they're going to go through with it. So the and right now there's more Star Wars content, new Star Wars content than there is new Marvel content. Loki is pretty much the only thing new Marvel-wise that's going on right now because all Marvel movies are at halted. 
But I think that's because they know that, one, Loki is an established property that people will will, yeah. will actually watch. Um, Secret Invasion was a huge gamble, I think. And I think they knew that. I don't know that they did. Well, I think they thought it was going to do at least as well as WandaVision, for lack of a thing to compare it to. Um, the, the What I'm getting at there is, is that they didn't view it as a TV series. They viewed it as a way to transition to the next thing. Yeah. And I don't know that that actually works in I this case. I don't think it did. I, I actually, I don't think it's been a successful... Um, you know, they've done a whole bunch of these, like WandaVision, uh, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, you know these, these limited uh, television series. I mean, I can understand ones like Kenobi. Kenobi, they wanted to fill in a space and explain some things. Uh, Plus, who doesn't want to see Ewan McGregor <coughs> back as, as Obi-Wan? Correct. But I don't think Ewan McGregor... Nobody Mag- cares about the guy playing Falcon becoming Captain, Captain America. America. Nobody cares about that. But the problem with those shows, though, is that they hype them up, they get you there, but there's no return on the investment. There was no movie or follow-up show that was related. You know, And one of the things that I, I think people loved about the way they did the original... I, I don't know what, or at least you know the the whole age of Volt, well, age Voltron, but the the Endgame, mm-hmm. you know all the movies that came up until Endgame, you know the all the Iron Man movies, Captain America movies, uh, <clears throat> the Avengers movies, you know all of that. It was a all of that, even though some of it overlapped in time, uh, was a continuous timeline that told us. Story about a bunch of characters that you liked. When they got to start doing the shows, and, and I understand they were trying to, I think they were trying to dip their feet in the water, but Disney, I think, made the mistake of, well, these little short-run miniseries are springboards to the next movie. But the they did so bad that nobody wanted to put money behind the next movie to cover that. They didn't do them. And so, all of a sudden, they, be, they become these, like, dead branches on this tree that's the Marvel Universe and everything they throw out there becomes less and less relevant because none of it has continuity or in many cases nobody cares about those characters there there are a lot that of Marvel was, a lot that, of Marvel characters that they made comic books about should never have shows or movies made about them because they were not super popular Marvel characters in the first place they were like short run Miniseries for these characters that, you know, an artist had a, you know, had their own love affair with, and they wanted to put something out there because it represented their art. But it, it was, it did not contribute to to Marvel's universe. Moon Knight is <clears throat> a perfect example of that. Yeah, I really felt like that that contributed nothing. It advanced no story uh, in the wider MCU. I, yeah, I didn't even watch Midnight. It was horrible. And I, and I had told you, I did end up watching all of Secret Invasion, but after the second episode, I told Matt, I said, 
I'm not watching this anymore. <laughs> well, and I told you I would watch it, and I'd tell you if it was good or not. Did I tell you it was good or not? No. I did not. No. Although that last episode, was, I, would, I would have said, make sure you watch it. Just Yeah, you could have watched the up. first episode and the last episode, and you would have... You could have saved four hours of your life. (coughs) I could have turned that into a movie. (coughs) A a TV style movie. Two, maybe three hours. And and done away with a whole bunch of that. Well, you know, the the other thing, there's questions that I still have on there. They didn't really explain. They kind of explained what happened to some of the people that the scrolls had taken their identities. But, like... Rhodey is an important character. Yes. And they didn't explain at all what happened to him. They didn't explain at all what happened to Martin Freeman's character from the first episode. <coughs> you know. It it they they showed Rhodey coming off the 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 rack. The real Rhodey. Yeah. And that was about all the explanation you got. got yeah. You don't know how long he'd been there. Although there's been some speculation. Yeah. Uh, and you don't know what impact that has on him. Correct. Correct. Which, I don't know, maybe they'll bring that up in another movie. But the next movie is The Marvels, which... I don't care about. Uh, it's kind of like Miss Marvel. I watched the movie, but it was not a good movie. Um... And, and I don't care about that character, and they keep wanting to bring her back. And now, it, it, this is the funny thing. they Disney keeps doubling down on the Miss Marvel character because that series that they were supposed to bring out on Disney Plus is now going on ABC because they're, they're, they're trying to recoup the cost of making it, so they're putting it on their, their commercial bat uh, network as opposed to their their non-commercial back, you know, subscription network. Because they don't think enough people are going to watch it. Well, that's... It's interesting that you say that because, um... You're talking the the teenage girl. Yes, not the So that was a series. Yeah. And if they're going to take that, move it over to ABC, and then take what they did for, for, for Disney Plus... And then start with that, and then build off of it. I'm sure it'll do fine at ABC. It will not do well on Disney Plus. Uh-uh. Um, but the tie-in is to Captain Marvel and a WandaVision character. Vision. And it's not Vision. I know it's not Vision. <clears throat> but you get my point. The tie-in to that, the payoff is two years down the road, or whatever it was. It's at least a year. Uh, I I just I I feel like the planning. Iron Man through Endgame. You could tell that there was a. Let me go all Battlestar Galactica on you. There was a plan. Yes. I don't feel like there's a plan anymore. And if there is one, it's it's not a good one. I agree. I, I think the plan is is they, they were getting in the they, 
deep archives of, of Marvel characters, superhero characters, and they're like, well, this one sounds kind of cool. <clears throat> the other thing that I think uh, the mistake they've made is they retired the original set of Avengers too, too early. early. Yes. They could have done one more movie. And the, you know, the the ring around them movies. Yeah. Yeah. I could have done another Chris Evans Captain America movie. Uh I, I could I could use another Thor. Although those were getting a little stale. Yeah. Well, and they, they you know, Thor was the longest of all the original Avengers as far as number of movies and, and stuff like that. And, and don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed the the uh, cuz the the second uh Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yeah, Volume Two. Volume Two sucked. It was a terrible movie with with Kurt Russell as as the god. You know, as, it was okay. <laughs> I mean, but in comparison to a lot of the Marvel movies, particularly when you go with Guardian Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One was excellent. It was. And, it was pretty good. And then and then you had such a letdown with the next story, but it was. I mean, it was. I I personally. It's not one that I would go back and watch over and over, but it was enjoyable while I watched it. But I thought the third one was really good too. Um, and and the third one tied in so much to Endgame because Gamora, you know, lost her her memory, and so the whole relationship between her and Star Lord is reset. And you know, and they 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 had enough of that in the movie to make it interesting but not too much to like go this is stupid why are we concentrating on this yeah and um, and I've watched that movie a couple of times um, because it was enjoyable but again and, and frankly the Guardians of the Galaxy and Yondu and you know all the characters that were part of that <clears throat> they they were obscure characters but they picked that in that case they picked the right one in a million obscure set of characters to make it work and then they found the right people to the make. casting yes. was amazing for Dave that Dave Bautista set. yeah but you know what he hates playing that character I know I uh, uh, well I mean you, you kind of have to because even in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 they 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 kind of allude to the fact that Drax is an idiot <laughs> you know, yeah, and uh, and uh, and everything, but the, you know, it, it, I can see him not wanting to play that area because he's not an idiot, right? By any yeah, means. no. But his portrayal of Drax is amazing. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> what's his last name? I have. You said Chris Evans, and so that's my mind. Then Chris Pine, because we were talking Star Trek. It's Chris uh, who plays Star Lord. Pratt. Pratt. Chris Pratt. He does a good job. He was very well cast. <clears throat> um, even even The Rock as Groot. Yeah. Was well cast, and and Zoe Saldana as Gamora, and I mean everybody. 
there was a lot of thought put into the people to make the characters come alive. Bradley Cooper as the voice of, of Rocket. I think that makes perfect sense, it too. It does. It's an amazing cast that was, was well put together and, and for three movies and a Christmas special, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. <clears throat> Could I use a fourth one? I'd go see it. I would. Well, I'd wait for it to stream. Yeah. I, I don't... I don't because I don't go, go to the theater anymore. anymore. Yeah, I, it would have to be. I don't know what it'd have to be. That might be a, a, a good question for a future podcast, or maybe, maybe. What, what would it take to make you go back to? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> good topic that, for that, a college That being show. said, my uh, youngest daughter is coming back for her internship. Uh, in the next week and, and the week while between that she's home until she has to go back to college she's like Are, we're going to go see the Barbie movie right and I'm like mm. well it's interesting you bring that and, up and, and because the re- the Barbenheimer I, is is a thing yeah you know and it's these are two movies that surprisingly are doing very well in an otherwise well, I, I totally, desert yeah I totally agree with you and and I I I kind of so I'm kind of like you. It's like something really special has to be on at the movie theater for me to go see it. And the last time I thought that something could be special, my movie theater experience was so bad, uh, which was the last Star Wars movie. Uh, I have been to a couple movies since then. Like I saw Elvis, which was a great movie. I, I but again, sh- a kind of a terrible movie theater experience when you we and and but it was better than Star Wars. When I went to Star Wars, they had blown the the. Dolby subwoofers yeah. out, and they wouldn't refund your money, and so you know the whole movie uh, a Star Destroyer goes through, and it's just rumble crack, rumble crack, rumble crack, and uh, and and it was not a good movie either. I wanted to go see Indy in the theater, but it got released and panned so bad. Yeah, that it didn't. I. I I wouldn't go to the theater now to go see Crystal Skull. Oh, I wouldn't either. Uh, and if I had, I'd have been pissed. <laughs> I did go to the movie theater and saw Crystal Skull and was disappointed. But, you know, I look at it too. But indie is one of those kinds of things that are like, that might get me to the theater. Yeah. No, I. James I, Bond might, might get, get me yeah. to the theater. It didn't this last one. But my wife. And it should have. My wife, you know. I'm the sci-fi geek. She was the Barbie collector. And uh, and so she wanted to go see it. And, you know, and yeah, I've, I've been watching the, you know, social media and, and all the reviews and, you know, and, and people pan it and, and people are saying, well, it's this and it's that. You know what? A lot of times when I, I hear that stuff go on, particularly when you hear it from both sides, where one side's panning it, overly panning it, and another side is overly lauding it for you know these virtues. I'm like, I need to go see this to see for myself what it really is, which is what <clears> they're <throat> banking on. Yeah, and um, so my wife wanted to go see it, but I would have probably waited until it screamed. But since my daughter's coming home, and I go, are you paying? And she goes, as long as you buy popcorn. So I don't know if I really got a good end of the deal. <laughs> um, but. 
you know, we're probably going to go see that. I, w- I, I, w- I want to see Oppenheimer. I really do. I mean, that movie interests me. But I'm not going to go to the theater to pay yeah. to see that. No, that that's I, when I'll wait for streaming. No matter how good the movie is, it, it'll be just as good on my 85-inch Samsung television than it, as it will be on the big I, screen. I'm, <clears throat> there's reasons why I bought a projector. Yeah. And it's not because I wanted to go to the theater. Yep. But, you know, Barbie is going to get me to go see the movie, you know, a movie in the movie theater. But, you know, when when I was in high school and you were in high school, I probably went to a movie all year long, at least one a week. There was a period of time when uh, I was like a freshman and sophomore in high school that my buddies and I were going to a movie after school every day. Wow. We saw... Probably from the time I was 12 to I was 15, uh, my two best friends in high school and I uh, would go see every movie that came out that we could get into. That yeah. you know, because I, I remember going and seeing Secret of My Success in the movie theater, uh, Dirty Dancing multiple times in the movie theater when it you know first run. Um, Aliens, my mom took us to see that because we couldn't have got in without her. <clears throat> Um, you know, everything that came out during the mid to late 80s, I probably saw in the movie theater. And that was the thing. But at the time, they had real discounts for Twilight, you know, which was before before 5 or 6 p.m. And even the snack bar was not so prohibitively expensive. You know, today you buy a thimble full of Coke and a thimble full of popcorn and it's $25 each. (laughs) Yeah. I remember going to the going to see movies when when I was well and we didn't have these when we lived in Michigan but we had them here in Ohio when I was in high school but we had dollar theaters yeah. and I remember going and seeing movies when they were kind of at the end of their first run at, for a dollar a person you know so you take a date you go Go by CVS and pick up some candy and a, a couple bottles of pop and stick in your girlfriend's purse. And you go and, you know, for like $6, you, you, uh, I mean, sometimes we would go to like rallies or McDonald's and order meals and bring the whole meals into the movie theater and eat. And, you know, for like, in the whole night costs like $10 after you put $2 of gas in your car. Which, by the way, would buy two gallons of gas. <laughs> I can see people going, you boomers. That wrong. We're not boomers by any means. We're Gen X. But, you know, today, you got to take a small loan to go see a movie at the movie theater. And movie... The quality of the movie is... Well, it's not even the quality of the movie. But... It's so expensive that if the movie's bad, it's like making a bad investment. Yeah. And, uh, it's, I mean, the funny thing is, is movie theaters cost today more than, like, baseball tickets. I can get tickets yeah. to the Reds or the Dragons or the Louisville Bats for less than two people to go to the movie theater. Yeah. Now, concessions are about the same, but that's a wash. Um, and, um... I guess movies have... They're not as extreme as, like, concert tickets. 
Those have gotten obnoxious. Those have gotten obnoxious. But. <clears throat> Speaking of which, I've seen Dwight Yoakam this week at the Rose. But, uh, but you know, when you go see a, a music artist, particularly a long-standing one who's had a stellar career, typically your experience of, is the quality good, not going to be an issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, they have a repertoire that, and a history. Yeah. You know what you're going to expect there. James Bond, I should have seen in the theater. Yeah. Um, no time to die. Uh, I, I, I waited. It was great on my screen. Uh, but I, I think I would have enjoyed the theater experience for that one. Yeah. That's the last one that I can think of that I saw that I would have been like, yeah, I should have seen that one in the, in, in well, the theater. And, you know, it's, you get jaded too. Technology has changed so much. Um, but before I say that, I want to go back to the movie theater experience. But movie theaters, even relatively newer ones, the companies are not making money and they're not keeping the theaters in good repair. The that's Danbury, because of COVID. Part of it's because of COVID. When they, when they came out of COVID, people had already shifted. Yeah. They bought their projectors and they're big now screen, watching yeah. it. They're big screen TVs or whatever. They're now uh, that whole industry well needs a needs a really, reset. Yeah, really, a lot of it went back to the '80s when VCRs became affordable. You know, and, and and because what happened is during that point, you had a whole bunch of people who now said, "I can wait to see this movie." The people who didn't care about seeing it on a huge screen, but would be interested and entertained by watching the movie. They said, hey, I can wait for this movie to come out and I'll rent it. Which is, essentially, streaming has replaced that. Right. Now I don't, have to, I don't have to go someplace to rent the movie or take it back. I can just stream it. The other part of it is, like you said, <clears throat> technology's changed. Uh, and now I can have a big screen in my home. Which is exactly the way it is. Because the real real thing is not that seeing a movie in the movie theater uh, on the on the huge screen it was because the screen was so big that your point of view it became all encompassing which made that that transition to suspension of disbelief or suspension of belief um, where you could get absorbed in the movie like you were in it as opposed to watching it um, and then the fact that they, you know, they were the only ones who had surround sound, and then Dolby surround sound, and then all this. Well, at home, I have better surround sound than most movie theaters have in sound. And I have an 85-inch TV, which I don't, if I sit on my very comfortable couch, the field of view is the same as if I were sitting, you know, in row 15 or 20 at a movie theater. And... You know, what are the other advantages of... And I think we've talked about this before, but what are the other advantages of watching it at home? Well, i got to go to the bathroom. Pause. Guess what? When I come back, I start the movie up. I didn't miss anything. Oh, I want snacks. Pause. Go to the kitchen. Fill my pop-up. Pop a bag of microwave popcorn. Come back. Unpause. 
you know, I, I'm the the cost of watching that entertainment to me as the individual has come down a lot. And then you couple that with the fact that, and this is what Netflix and Amazon and a lot of the streaming services make on that. For every winner that you watch, you'll watch twenty losers and not be upset about it. Which, at these prices, yeah, I'm not willing to do. Correct. I'm more willing to shell out Netflix money and not watch Netflix for a month and have it cost me twenty bucks or whatever. Well, that but that's the thing. Netflix, which you can watch any movie, <coughs> any of the streaming services. Yeah. You watch any show that they have, anytime. You can pause it, come back to it. Uh, you know, you don't have to watch it in a contiguous manner. Uh, and, you're, you know, a lot of these services, Netflix, if you want 4K, you have to buy Netflix's biggest package. Uh, which is fourteen ninety five a month. Well, if I went to a movie outside of like like when I have time to go to a movie, which means after the the matinee pricing, which matinee pricing isn't great anymore. You know, yeah. it used to be if a movie was eight bucks, a matinee'd be like four and a quarter. Yeah. Now, if a movie is a lot of movies, an individual ticket after six p.m. is like fourteen ninety five a piece, and I think in in a larger I don't want to say larger markets, but other markets like New York, big city markets, that's closer to twenty to twenty-five dollars a ticket. Uh, I've paid for a month of entertainment versus a couple hours. Precisely my point. Yeah. Even if I don't watch it, that I have it available to me on my time and uh, on my terms is uh, there's there, there's a value there that I don't get at the cinema. Well, which is why I say well, and there, that, whole, that whole industry is is ripe for for disruption. destruction. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, you know, the other thing is is movie theaters take a lot of room. Even a small like tiny movie theaters. When you look at that and you look at that versus the the rent that you're paying for the facility, you know, what's how how much do you have to make to to just break even, much less turn a profit. And labor costs have gone up. And then other technological issues that people have gotten used to. How many people watch everything on their TV at home with captions on? Even people who are not hard of hearing. Almost everybody. They, I mean, there have been many articles on this phenomena that people have started turning the captions on. Well, when you go to the movie theater, there's no captions unless they're speaking in a foreign language and they want you to know what the dialogue is. Because I've actually been to movies in the movie theater where they don't really care that you know what the dialogue is and they're speaking in a foreign language because the dialogue doesn't matter. You know, it's just they had to have this dialogue in there to make it look convincing. Um, but, you know, I think that that's the paradigm shift in... And I, it was already moving that way. I think COVID just accelerated that shift. You know, the, the other thing, so... It, but that the industry hasn't figured that out yet is, to me, the shocking thing. Well, I think parts of the industry have. It's always the ones like, frankly, Netflix and Apple TV and and Amazon Prime and, and the guys who are... Uh, I, I think Paramount slash CBS gets it. 
I, I don't think NBC has quite gotten it yet, uh, even though they have a streaming service. <laughs> NBC was one of the ones who, they were already canceling, they canceled a ton of shows, and a lot of it was their original content, stuff that they, they paid for to have done. And I won't say it was completely terrible, but it, a lot of it was not, I wouldn't say great content, but now they're the ones who are writing, I think they're the ones who've so far written down the most of, since the strikes have happened, saying, we're just not going to do this, we're not going to do that, we're not going to do this other thing. And uh, Have we heard any more on the uh, MGM Amazon thing? I'd love to see some more Stargate. I have not. I have not heard, seen anything about it. <clears throat> and I, I don't anticipate seeing... Uh, I wouldn't think anything would happen during any of this strike business. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to hear anything about it um, anytime soon. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I would like to see that come back. There, also, you know, they, they, there was talk of rebooting Battlestar. Battlestar. Oh, yeah, that's right, Battlestar. Which... I, I don't know how I feel about because, sorry, the Ron Moore. I the beginning of the summer when there was nothing on TV, I rewatched all. Uh, I've rewatched like the first two seasons of Battlestar Galactica. Does it hold up? It holds up. I think it does. It holds up. I mean, really holds up. Yeah. And. Uh, and until it doesn't, I don't know that we need a a, a replacement. Uh, well, and I think that's one of the problems that's going on right now is that a lot of, and I think why there's the the movie and television industry are going to use these strikes as a reset is because a lot of these writers and the concepts that they were coming forward with were just rehashing old properties and saying, well, we want to do, it'd be like going, hey, we want to do Alvin and the Chipmunks, but we want to make them cyber ninja super lord musical guys you know i, I mean because that's a, at least that <coughs> or we is, want to starbuck every character yeah because of dei initiatives to me the that should be die but worse than than taking dukes of hazard and turning that into a farce yeah which there was a lot of that going on. Well, too. yeah, I mean, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, the show is farcical enough on its own. Well, it was campy, but and to then, take it a, a, and then actually make a farce, you it know, was uh, just a bridge too far. Yeah. But so let's go back to Star Wars. Let's talk a little bit about Star Wars. I'm I'm all about Thrawn. So bring on Ahsoka. So first of all. We do know that, we, like we were saying before, a lot of things have been locked down. Star Wars right now is, because of the success of Dave Filoni and um, John Favreau. John Favreau. Uh, Happy Hogan. Yeah, Happy Hogan. They've Star Wars is kind of getting a go-ahead, although all Star Wars movies have been, all, all production has been stopped, not just because of the the uh, strike strike it's all everything's on hold until they determine whether they're going to go actually i think they canned the the next ray movie completely which which i'm, I'm happy I'm, with yeah um, there was no point in doing that 
But they uh, they need to retcon that entire that entire absolutely trilogy. <clears throat> uh, like just pretend it didn't happen. I agree. I totally agree. Like have Grogu wake up from a dream and be like, "Whoa, that was that was weird. That was scary. <laughs> scary that was." <laughs> but you know, Mandalorian's coming back. Um, we're gonna see. Uh, um, the Night Watch Mandalorians uh, still be a big part of that, evidently. Because I think... I, I heard it in an interview. Uh, John Favreau kind of said it. And then I heard David Filoni say it in another interview. They kind of echoed... They didn't say it the same way, so it wasn't like it was scripted. But they kind of said, The Mandalorian is not just about Dijin Jiren. Right. That I, it's I about it's the Mandalorians. Becoming... Yeah. yeah, plural. Uh, I, and I, I see that development as a good thing. I really do. Yeah. Because the Grogu story itself is mostly told out. Jin Jaren's story is mostly played out. Um, I'd like to see... I'd like to see the Mandalorians, you know retake their home world and, and talk about the transition between being bounty hunters essentially into having to, to function as a society Society again, which we haven't seen since really the old Republic. Right. Yeah. No, I, um, now my understanding is, is the ending of season three was an allusion to, or ending of season two, I mean, was an allusion to season, what's going to kind of go on in season three, where where Mando is going to be looking for whoever it was that was shot up in that uh, <clears throat> uh, Imperial shuttle that was supposed to be, that, that also freed, there evidently was, my understanding is, in some of the stuff that I've read, is that it wasn't just um, uh, Moff Gideon, who was released. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's more story to that. Um, <clears throat> and then, um, Bad Batch is coming back, which I I like Bad Batch a ton, even though it's a co- it's a cartoon. I. I I just find it. I like the characters. I think it's funny that one character gets to play like ninety percent of all the characters in the show because he plays all the clones, <laughs> and he does a good job of changing the intonation on the voice so that they you know which clone is which clone. That's very James doing of him. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> and then we have um, Tales of the Jedi is going to have more episodes. I don't know if they're going to make that a seasonal thing or they're going to keep it as it's just like these are the episode or, you know, it's like an ongoing multi-year single season. But that there's more to that to come is my understanding. And that's animated. But then in the live action stuff, of course, we have Ahsoka, which starts up here in a week. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... So, 
I'm excited about that because um, well, because it Ahsoka ties some things together. Um, it ties the Mandalorian. It ties the Bad Batch. It ties uh, Star Wars Rebels. Um, um, and we're getting to see some of those characters that now we've gotten to see Hera, Syndulla. Uh, she was in the last one of the last Star Wars movies, yeah. uh, standing there. But she actually gets to speak, and and the ghost is going to be a, a real ship. Yep. And we get to see, um, um, oh, what's her name? The Mando, female Mando from Rebels. Uh, uh, Sabine. Sabine, uh, will be actually a live action character, and evidently, I think they're actually supposed to be kind of Ahsoka's crew. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> and then um, we're also supposed to meet some more Inquisitors. Yes. Uh, who are former Jedi. And then, um, you know, the idea is that we'll also find out what happened to Thrawn and and uh, Ezra Bridger. Yes. So I'm excited about that. Sooner the better. It's a week away, buddy. It's, uh, I- I'm... I'm at a point where it's like, I... It's so bad, I started watching Star Trek The Animated Series again. No wonder you had the James Doohan reference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so... So, so that speaking of that, there's not... I mean, there's some new content that my wife and I watch every week, you know, besides... Strange New Worlds, you know, we've been... Foundation on Apple TV Plus is excellent. Silo before that. So, I mean, there's been new shows, but to fill in those gaps, um, I've been watching Eight is Enough. Wow. And, and it all sparked from the fact that the kid who has played the youngest kid in that show... Uh-huh. Now, I remember the show being on TV. Uh-huh. It started when I was, like, five or six years old. It's so. the Dick Van Patten thing, uh-huh. right? Yeah, okay. And... And, but I didn't remember a whole lot of it. But yeah. but uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, Richie was the kid's last name. Uh, but the youngest kid died, and he's a couple years... Well, he died, and he's he's only a couple years older than we are. Okay. And I was like, man, I need to go back and watch that. Because, I mean, that culturally, that was contemporary with my experiences. Right, and, yeah. And, uh, and there were big stars in that show, too. Like Willie Ames and, and stuff. But I ended up... I don't. If you have ADHD, you get fixated on things and you start like researching them to death. And I, that's what happened. As I hit a, it was late at night, and I'm like, IMDb, and then Wikipedia, and then. But the, the show started. There's nine episodes in the first season. Uh, Diana Highland was the mother, and then there's the eight kids. And. In the first episode, the oldest, because it was a, back then, it was kind of like Star Trek, you know. Um, in the pilot, the oldest son was played by, oh, shoot. Hold on, i got to go to the interwebs again. <laughs> Bear with me. But the oldest son was, uh, ended up being somebody, so it ran from 1977 to 1981. Okay. Um, they keep changing IMDb, and it's really hard to find the it season is. information. It's really tough. 
But the first season or first episode. Oh, Mark Hamill plays the oldest son in the first episode. Really? Yeah. That and the, so this is right must have been right before <coughs> he got the role to play Luke Skywalker, and that's okay. why he didn't end stick up around, stick yeah. around and being in the. But the woman who played the mother, Diana Hyland, who was a famous actor, I guess, from the the fifties and sixties and stuff. Halfway through filming the first season, like four episodes in, she died unexpectedly of undiagnosed breast cancer. Wow. And so they ended up, like they used to do, is they, since the episodes had some continuity, but they yeah they could move them around, they stretched her out to like, I think like episode seven or eight in the series, and then they kind of intimated that she went away, she was away, and they don't acknowledge that she, the, the character dies until the second season. And it's, I mean, the show was frankly... When you look at it, uh, you could almost say that for the time it was, it was woke. They talk a lot about women's lib and women's rights and and stuff. Um, and in some respects, they're very heavy-handed with it. They kind of beat you over the head with it and stuff. And and then other times, it's like they're they're really uh, they're really thoughtful about how they present some of the concepts and stuff. You know, but it, it, what's funny is watching it is it's very much a a picture of our culture at the time. Adam Ritchie is the kid's name who played the youngest kid. I knew it would come to me. Um, but it, it, I've been I've been watching that, and just just kind of fill the space. And you know, it's one of those things where I can put it on and and half pay attention to it, and still understand you know everything what's going, that's going on. on. Yeah. But you know, it was. What's funny about it is it, it's we would they called it a drama back then we would call it a dramedy today because there were it's it's a drama with humorous situations you know they they tried to make light of some of the things that this huge family was going through the other thing that's really weird about it which you would never you'd never find a show like this today because no writer would ever dream of it but you you have a family that is supported by two parents. The mother of which is like a freelance photographer. Um, so she can be around, but they have eight kids and they live in Cal Sacramento, California. Oh, you wow. would never find a show yeah. that would do that today. You know? Well, first of all, isn't that illegal now in California? To oh, have yeah, probably. Kids? But, uh, you know, as you dive through the IMDb Wikipedia thing, <coughs> you find out that, you know, this wholesome presented family was um, most of these kids had ended up even the that's why Adam Ritchie died was uh, a drug overdose you know all these years later but a lot of the a lot of them are dead who played the kids uh, and they didn't die of old age no well that's uh, Jonathan Brandis uh, Sequest yeah absolutely they don't have a real support system as kids and then they develop mental illness a lot of them do yeah and the ones that don't turn to drugs or sex commit suicide 
it's one of those things that I don't think Hollywood talks about much, but no. they really should. <clears throat> well, it's probably the same people who were involved in that, or the same people who don't want the Sound of Freedom to. Wow. <laughs> and for the same reasons. For the same reasons, absolutely. Um, but going back to Star Wars again, we're, we're going to segue back. Please. But um, besides Ahsoka, which I, I'm very. In, I, I'm actually excited to, to watch it. Um, but we also have the other new show, which I actually thought they might can, uh, you know, do as a write down and stuff, but they didn't. And that's, uh, shoot, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, but basically, <clears throat> this is the. Uh, The, the Star Wars show that is the it's not the Rebels, it's not the Empire, it's kind of <coughs> this ragtag group of individuals who come together and you know they're kind of in the middle okay uh, it's supposed to have a lot of kids like a, an adult and <coughs> as the main or main one of the main characters and then you know the other it, it's kind of their version of prodigy but it's a live action show interesting why can't i think of the the name <laughs> of the show sorry i'm looking on the interwebs for this as well i'm assuming they ditched the high republic or whatever so that, that was my be. understanding is that's supposed to be still under consideration I know they did away with the uh, Rogue Squadron project. They did. They they can the Rogue Squadron project, which I'm not gonna lie. Behind the Thrawn trilogy of books, my second favorite expanded universe kind of favorite set was the Wraith Squadron. Yeah, that was kind of mine, too. <coughs> I could kind of see a Rogue Squadron show spinning off into that. Which would have been fun for me, but it's all good. Shoot, I cannot find it. Skeleton Crew. That's right. It says, follows the groups of kids who are about 10 years old who get lost in the Star Wars universe. Um, that one is still... Jude Law plays the adult protagonist. Uh, Admiral Janeway. Yeah. <laughs> Hollow Janeway, I should say. But, I mean, it, it's at least down... Down, far enough down the, the road that they know that there's going to be eight episodes and they know some of the cast, including Jude Law. Um, <clears throat> but that's still on track to, to happen as a TV series. Now, I don't know if it's really still on track to be 2023 since the writer's strike and actor strike because I have a feeling that they're not... They're probably not that far into production they might uh, they could be they they might have filmed everything they're just in 
post-production and stuff like that, which that changes the game a little bit. I, I'll tell you, I think I have a feeling that the actors and writer strike won't be a big issue until we hit the beginning of 2024. If it goes on that long. Well, even if it goes on that long, it's going to take them time to go back in. And also, depending on the outcome, particularly of the writer's strike... Um, well, they're already talking about how it's going to impact, like, NCIS. Uh, it's We're going to get a shortened season, for sure. Yeah. I don't know that that's a bad thing. <laughs> well, I mean, like, Hawaii will have a, yeah. a shortened season, too. And weren't they supposed to have a new... There was Australia be, show. Yeah, they were supposed to have a new Australia show that was just for Paramount Plus. But I you know, there there's some there. there's supposed to have been what I'm interested in is uh, now and, and the reason I say that it probably won't see a real effects of it until twenty twenty four is there's so much work that's already in the can. Like I said, Discovery's in the can. Um uh you know, a lot of shows they they will run them. You know, their their seasons out right before the Christmas season, and then we won't see anything. I imagine that most of the production is complete on season three of Mandalorian because that always comes out around Christmas. Um, my curiosity is some of the other things like, you know, Paramount pretty much bankrolls Taylor Sheridan's operations and he's got all kinds of stuff. He's got four sixes coming out. But the the rest really the last season it, it they basically took this last season are saying it's an extended season of Yellowstone, but they split it in half. Which usually they would call this two seasons. Well the second half of this season, last season, is gonna come out right around this late in the fall and run through Christmas and I'm sure he's probably got the second season of 1923 his other show complete so we're going to see some new content out but like four sixes and uh, all the other stuff he has like uh, I don't know if he's going to do another season of the Mayor of Kingstown which is also a very good show very good show um, but you know all these other things he has in production I don't know if that's going to set him back. Now, the one thing is, is my thing may, the thing that may affect Mayor of Kingstown is Jeremy Renner, Renner's being Renner guy was in an accident. Yeah, it wasn't just an accident. Oh, it was a serious accident. He's he's lucky to be alive. He is. But that being said, you know, um, and if you haven't seen Lioness, and I know you haven't, you, you wait until it's done. And then binge watch the whole thing. Yeah. What what else entertainment wise? You said I haven't watched it yet. I was actually doing the the waiting for the whole season to come out of yeah. the last Jack Ryan. So that's sitting there for me to watch. Um, Jack Ryan was really good. And again, I I wish I had waited for that too. And I knew better. And I still I couldn't help myself. Uh, I'll tell you a show that I uh, second season is kind of well into like the third or fourth episode <clears throat> but it's an MGM plus show it's Domino and it's about uh, 
Livia Drusus, who was Gaius Julius Caesar's uh, wife. And uh, and it's really about them, the whole thing, and, and the end of... They, the whole idea of restoring the, the Roman Republic, uh, Livia Drusus' father, who was a Roman general, he wanted to restore the Republic, and she... She's very political. It's it's a great show because you see the political machinations that are going on, uh, and, and all of this, and uh, between the everybody inside the house of, of, of Gaius Caesar, and uh, and you know talking of creating a triumvirate and all this other stuff, and it it's not a. There's action in it. It's not as boring as Secret Invasion, but you know, it's also, if you are not a little bit cerebral and intellectual, you will not like this show probably because it will move too slow for you. But uh, there's a lot of intrigue and you know all kinds of things about it, and uh, but a very enjoyable show. And it, it gives you, I think they've done, even though they've made the language more modern, uh, it gives you an idea. A much better idea of what life in the Roman Empire, end of the Republic, and beginning of the Empire was like. Interesting. And uh, that's been a good show. Miracle Workers. I do not like this current season of Miracle Workers. It's supposed to be Mad Max, Glory Road type thing. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with Miracle Workers. So it is. Um, they have the same cast, but uh, every season, uh, the cast, they, it's a different thing. So the first season was they're all angels, and they're trying to stop God from destroying the earth uh, by getting people to love each other. Okay. And Steve Buscemi uh, is in it. Daniel Radcliffe stars in it. They're kind of the big stars. And then, but the cast is the same. Uh, second season, they went to uh, the Dark Ages. Okay. A third season, they were the Oregon Trail. And this one seemed, they called Miracle Workers End Times. It's kind of like a, ma a play on Mad Max. And it's a comedy. Um, I just, it's not as funny to me as the, the previous seasons were. Uh, but it's another good show to check out. Because <laughs> Steve Buscemi in the first season plays God. And so... <laughs> Say no more. <clears throat> but, um... And a lot of the... the Like, the first season was based on a book that somebody had written. I think a lot... Each season, I haven't really looked, but each season I think might be based upon a book. Interesting. Uh, and in some respects, it's like watching a, uh, like going to a, a uh, improvisational comedy show. Um, if you've never watched Outlander, which is like designed, it's female porn, uh, but it's designed so that men will enjoy watching it with their wives. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's also a science fiction time travel story. And... Uh, it's extremely good too and it's in lord it's in it's like yeah we're in season seven and it's all based upon books which 
services that on. Outlander is... I don't remember. <laughs> but those are some of the things that I'm, we're still... That's new content that we're watching over the summer. Outlander always comes out in the summer. Uh, trying to think. There's lots of seasons and things. Like I told you, I, you'd mentioned before we Steel Team. I I'm, haven't watched like the last season... I have to start over. Uh, uh, Joe Pickett, which is on Netflix. How is that? It's really good. So I, I watched the first season. and um, Because I I know I've told, I told you this off air. Uh, I frequently go into Netflix and I just like click around a little bit. And I'm like, none of this really. That one has caught my eye and I just haven't like devoted time to it. So... It, it's kind of a, it's a it's a mystery law enforcement type show except the weird and it's based on a series of books but he is a game warden in national park or a game warden for state in states right. you know out west yeah and uh, things come under his jurisdiction because they happen you know while he's a game warden or they start out because people are poaching or whatever the second season I've only watched like an episode and a half I was having a hard time getting into it. Because every time you turn around, he's, like, in a situation where he almost dies. And I get a little tired of that. <laughs> and uh, Quantum Leap, I, I need to go back and re-watch it. I like the concept. And I'm glad that they didn't, like, say this guy was Sam Beckett and start over. They, they it, It's really a continuation of the original Quantum Leap. Um, I just, I they, watched four or five episodes, and then Star Trek came on, and it was like game over. When they bagged that already, right? No, it's got another season coming. Really? Yeah, I believe it does. Hold on, there's a great website called ismyshowcanceled.com. Uh, nope, it's still on air. It says they were. Renewed for season two. Yeah, that's what I thought I had read. <clears throat> but they're a good one. Hey, um, it was the new Night Court. Yes. That got axed That was NBC already. that got axed. Yeah. And I did watch it, and it was not terrible. It was not... Well, in some respects, the first season of the original Night Court with Harry Anderson was not a good show. And I'm surprised it got picked up. Uh... But it got better, and I mean, you know, during its run, that's where some people like we take for granted, like... Brent Spiner. Brent Spiner got, you know... <laughs> and he had such iconic characters on there. Yeah. <coughs> um, it is weird... Well, a lot of shows that have been given the go-ahead for uh, renewals are all reality TV shows because they're unscripted, and which means no SAG-AFTRA, no well, writer's and that's, guild. And that's what I... If I remember correctly, the last time they had a lengthy strike like that, reality TV came out of that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think you're right. 
and I wonder if we'll have some other um, innovation for lack of a better word because I really hate I loathe reality TV I do too um, what is weird is during these strikes so AMC has renewed both of the Walking Dead um, series that they're releasing this year they, and they re even renewed the Daryl Dixon one which hasn't aired yet <laughs> um, I've, I actually enjoy the Walking Dead ones I've never seen them but that's two of the two shows and then that is and the Righteous Gemstones got renewed for season four which it, that's an HBO Max show um, and then Disenchantment which is Netflix which is actually a pretty good cartoon if you haven't watched it adult cartoon uh, it says it's ending with season five, so I guess this next upcoming season or season five will be its its end. I've I've <clears throat> watched a couple of those cartoony shows. Yeah, season five premieres on September first. <sighs> Is that one that I watched? There's a conspiracy theory one that I watched that was hilarious. I don't remember the name of it. But they're like a secret society and... I thought that was on Netflix too. They canceled Inside Amy Schumer. I can't say that I'm oh, upset about that. That's, that's awful. gonna miss her <laughs> you watch her every day didn't you but that being said I, I think I, I, I told Matt I think because we haven't done an episode there was a lot to talk about from that perspective indeed uh, we're already at an hour and a half but I do want to cover a couple things so one of the things from a technology perspective that I think is hilarious is um, I saw this on Slashdot this afternoon this afternoon but <clears throat> Elon Musk predicts electricity shortage in two years um, it says the man behind the race to replace gasoline fueled cars with electronic ones is worried about having enough juice writes the Wall Street Journal in recent days he's reiterated the, those concerns predicting US consumption of electricity driven in part by battery powered vehicles will triple by around 2045 that followed his saying earlier this month that he anticipates an electricity shortage in two years that could stunt the energy-hungry development of artificial intelligence. You really need to bring the time scale of projects in sooner and have a high sense of urgency, Musk told Energy Executives Tuesday at a conference held by PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric, <laughs> who's probably the worst electric company in the world, uh, even over, like, Iraqi electric. <laughs> uh, one of the nation's largest utilities. My biggest concern is that there's insufficient urgency. And I, I can't say that I won't disagree with him, but we've been talking about this, that there wasn't enough elect... If you switched everybody over to electric vehicles, that there wasn't enough electricity generation to power all of the electric charging stations that, they had, the, that Biden had said he'd planned to build. <clears throat> I 
don't understand why this is uh why is this why is this news if anything it's old news granted it's got a a a a, a, a sexy new face but you're right we knew that we couldn't support what Biden wanted to do and that was what two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. Um, I <laughs> and that's not even to talk about the other issues involved with producing electric cars and supply chain and right. all of that. You know, and, and all these states saying you know no new gasoline vehicles <clears throat> after twenty thirty or twenty thirty five, and I'm just sitting there scratching my head, going, "That's funny," you know. Particularly, you know, a lot of those laws have been in states like California where. They have sketchy electrical infrastructure which to begin is, with. To begin with, which is causing a lot of their wildfire problems, and then, you know, Gavin Newsom is putting legislation in place saying that hey, by twenty thirty, no new electric vehicles and you know will be bought in the state of can be bought in the state of California. <laughs> like, how, or, or no new gas vehicles can be bought in the how, state of how, only electric. How arrogant do you have to be to do something like that? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I I get it as a guideline. Yes. As a target. But we would as like a goal. We would like it, well, and you know, conservatively, it, as a goal, our goal would be to get, you know, sixty percent of the new vehicles bought. You know, something greater than fifty percent, but. Probably less than 60. You know, we want 51% of all new vehicles sold in the state of California by 2030 to be. But not. it's not a law. <laughs> but is that even within the scope of what government, government should do? Should do? <clears throat> that's, a good, that's a good question. I, I, I don't believe it is. And I know our listeners would be shocked to learn that that's my position, but that's my position. I'm already getting emails on that. I'm sure. I can't believe Matt's that way. But no, you're right. I agree. I, I don't know why they wouldn't have just let market forces determine. Well, they don't trust the market in the first place. Well, I don't think it's that they don't trust the market. I think they what they don't trust is they know that their science is pseudo. Yeah. <laughs> and... They don't really trust their science to make the case for making the move. You know, it's kind of like the article you posted about, you know, if they could capture this asteroid that's flying by. Oh, yeah. It would make yeah. everybody a trillionaire yeah. on the Earth. And, it'd be, and you wrote, I'd hate to see the inflation then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine what yeah. shit would cost if, if everybody had a trillion dollars there's 2.49 million dollars oh, for a gallon no, of milk man <laughs> and i know that whoever put that infographic together thought that this was a great idea oh i know oh yeah we could we're, we're gonna end let's, poverty let's let's fund a nasa mission to go grab <clears throat> this asteroid and and well so that kind of drives me to the next thing i wanted to talk about um is so and this shocked me um the Light atlantic up. actually wrote this article Okay. Um, about the root cause of the homeless crisis. And they're really talking about in California, particularly in the San Francisco area. Okay. And what it is, is that um, 
they they take some general numbers uh, to, in the beginning. You know, they talk that thirty percent of American homeless population and fifty percent of it's unsheltered, which I don't quite understand. But I guess homeless people they have no place to go, and I guess unsheltered people have a place to go, but they choose not to no they don't have like a dwelling they're like living in their car or, oh okay okay all right i'm with you um which is like a hunt and they said it's 170,000 people total which let's take 170 let's do the math i know a lot of people don't like numbers they like emotion oh, i'm with you <clears throat> but right on me. 170,000 out of 330 million what is that it's less than one percent of one percent Here's where I will quote Barbie and say, math is hard. Sorry, we're... So, yeah, it's like 0.00055% of the population in the United States falls in this category. Now, that's a lot of people. I mean, you know, <clears throat> but... Even one is a, is a personal tragedy... But what was funny is, so I guess uh, a lot of pundits and politicians, and this is something we've argued about, claim that the California homeless crisis is actually a result of people moving from other states for better weather or better public benefits. Yes. But research done that was released last month from UC San Fr- so University of California, San Francisco, okay. released the largest representative survey of homeless people in more than 25 years. It comprises survey data from 3,200 homeless people in California and in-depth interviews with more than 300 of them. <clears throat> the majority, overwhelming majority of people surveyed were locals, not migrants from far away. 90% lost their housing in California and 75% lost it in the same county where they were expect- experiencing homelessness. Of the 10% who came from elsewhere, 30% were born in California. Most of the others had familiar or employment ties or had previously lived in the state. <clears throat> so that they their research says that, you know, migrants coming in from other places, and, and they, they talk about, you know, all the things, why that's stupid. If you're homeless, you don't have money to move and move. You know, homeless people have possessions, even if it's meager. And they don't have the ability to, or, or the time and money, or, or to move from. Well, well, now the shopping carts don't leave the, the parking lot. Leave the parking lot, so they they don't have a way to to move their their stuff. I, I get that. But basically, what they talked about. Now I don't know that I. Now being the Atlantic, they're not going to actually lay to bear. The, well, the they're true not, root cause. Correct. They're they're not. But what they're talking, what they do, at least they lay out. And what the, do they claim is the root cause? Well, they say that there's not enough affordable housing, and their conclusion, which is the government should build or legislate that affordable housing should be made, I don't really agree with. Um, that, but the root cause they say is that. If the median prices of houses go up, which San Francisco is a good example of where they're at the extremes, <clears throat> then only the wealthy, real wealthy, can purchase the houses at the upper end, which then drives the middle class to now buy houses at the lower end that normally people would 
and this is what the UC San Francisco research is saying, that normally would house um, house the poor, you know, older homes, like really old homes. But what the middle class do is they come in and they buy them because they can afford them, and then over time they refurb them. Whereas uh, the people of much meager means, the poor, would not refurb those houses. So in essence, it's a it's a my conclusion from this is, is it's an, a losing state no matter what because in that sense the lower quality houses or, or less the older houses and that's the thing is older houses is what they consider lower quality <laughs> but those houses because won't be maintained by the, the poor population because they can't afford to continuously upgrade them. Um, I think the the bigger issue is you can't tax a state into into prosperity. Parity. Exactly. Because that's really what's happened is that the only people who can really afford to live and own property are the people who uh, who can pay the taxes. Because, I mean, you go to states that don't have property tax, like Tennessee is a good example. And so people who, ha people who have means and people who don't have means can buy a 10 to 20% better house because they're not paying property taxes on it. Uh, I would be curious to see what the homeless population of California and San Francisco, uh, what percentage of them owned houses and then lost them due to foreclosure. Yeah due to to uh, a rising tax bill yeah and now I'm and the ones that survive all that move to another state and they california my ohio yeah and quite frankly i could do without that it, it is interesting um they do give an example of of the interview questions and stuff uh, for several people but I also think out of 170,000 respondents, because you gotta, you got to think, when I was in Hawaii, and this is working in Hawaii, and this is 20-some-odd years ago, I was amazed at the amount of homeless people there. But you could also survive in that climate, because it's 85 year-round, and it's not like Hawaii sees a lot of hurricanes or, you know, in, they, yeah, they get rain, but not that much rain so it, it's possible that they you know yeah they become unhoused because of economic means you know taxes in Hawaii are very expensive too um, but everything in Hawaii is expensive you know back this is back in the early 2000s and you know they were paying back then for a happy meal what we're paying for a a uh, you know Big Mac meal today with inflation over 20 years that was back then you know but everything in Hawaii has to be imported because everything that they produce like Wagyu beef and pineapples and everything is exported they don't sell that locally <laughs> you know but that being said other places where I've seen homeless is Cincinnati Ohio uh, I don't know how big the homeless population is there, but it's not insignificant. It's big enough that you notice it, particularly uh, in certain times of the year, like the summer. You can't hardly walk in the Serpentine Wall without getting panhandled. Um, 
uh, Lexington, Kentucky has a homeless population that's kind of the same as Cincinnati's, you know. Uh, and it's actually much smaller than it was because uh, and you have to wonder how much generational homelessness happens because like in the 60s uh, federal and state governments decided to quit funding uh, state mental hospitals and so those when those hospitals shut down they just turned everybody out on the street and so all of a sudden you had a homeless population that was not prepared to look for uh, shelter or look for employment and then you know they do make some points that I do agree with in this article which is yes if you don't have a place where you can go and get a good night's sleep and bathe and do things it makes it much harder to get employment you know uh, and, and, or maintain employment if you can get employment um, and I do see a lot of the issues being they're recursive um, or, or circular they they kind of feed each other because this circumstance keeps you from doing this which keeps you from doing this which keeps you from doing this or or limit your opportunity to do X Y and Z which means you're back to this step again well which came <coughs> first the chicken or the egg yeah and, and, well and, and sorry quite frankly sorry at the center of, of that particular circle is government run amok yes absolutely well the, you know the other issue is is it, it, that you have to look at too is is what is that quote you're so fond of quoting uh, about the natural state of man is is uh, you, you even reposted it on Facebook the other day uh, the natural state of man is uh, being poor and oh it, it. Yeah, no, I'm not going to come up with it off the top of my head anymore. But yeah, no, I know the one you're talking about. Well, the natural state of man is 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 poor. Yeah. It's it's the the guy that like seeks prosperity through entrepreneurship or work. Work. Yeah. Uh, that will pull himself out of it and enjoy prosperity the, and be a, a member of society that's that's productive and it has a has a sense of self-worth yeah that's the that's the thing that I, I don't think the welfare state fully grasps when you when you steal self-worth from a human being it's very hard to recover from that very true and I'm all for a safety net don't get me wrong we 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 have a responsibility as a as a society to take care of the disadvantaged um, but there as I am also fond of saying, there's a difference between a safety net and a lifestyle choice. Yeah, absolutely. And it's when it when when government permits it to be a lifestyle choice through their actions, that's when society degrades to a point where you have situations like crap in the streets yeah. in San Francisco. Well, 
you know, the the one thing, and it's not in this article, but the statistic is true, is the largest homeless population in the United States is in the San Francisco Bay Area. And a good portion of them, there is a, uh, I cannot remember, what, we talked about this article many, a couple years ago in an episode, because uh, a lot of the homelessness were people who came to California in, in the homeless camp. Um, they came to California and they actually have jobs where they are working for Google and Yahoo and, and other companies who are out there, but the competitive salaries that they hold, they can't purchase um, they cannot purchase a home or there's not enough homes for rent and even if they are there, the even rentals are like New York City. You know, and, and rent control does not yeah. solve that yeah. issue. I believe it actually perpetuates it. Yeah. But New York City may not have that problem much longer, unfortunately, because they'll go California, uh, California K to another state. <laughs> um, because, you know, their, their issues right now is, is uh, and, and it's really kind of funny. So their mayor posted, they're, they're having all kinds of issues with uncontrolled violence in the streets and crime and stealing cars and all this other stuff. And so people are fleeing the city because they can't afford to live there, you know, not only just because economically, but for fear of their life. And he puts out new legislation on Friday, and the legislation was uh, was a green legislation, um, and this is city legislation, but it requires restaurants who do takeout, carry delivery, Uber, Uber Eats, you know, DoorDash, all of them, to not... Uh, Unless specifically asked by a customer, they are not allowed to give out napkins, condiments, or utensils. Well, that'll solve those problems because, real quick. Because that is the majority of stuff that is going in the landfill. You know, because they're, these restaurants are giving people too many napkins on, in takeout. And I'm like, one, napkins are typically biodegradable. <laughs> they're paper. <laughs> um, and if you don't use them all with your meal... You don't typically throw good napkins away, even and and that's what a lot of the articles. But about. you know what? That's 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 Gen X talking, by yeah. the way. You know, we're the ones that that put the napkins in our glove glove box, box yeah. uh, and all that jazz. I, I'm I'm learning that uh, that's a younger generations are not doing. My stuff youngest like daughter that. does it because I was. But that's because she had good parenting. Yeah. Not every kid has that. That's true. Look at you. I know. <laughs> Somehow I survived. I by by the the grace of God and and well, it's because you, hold, a good you paycheck. were whole, you were wholesaling all the extra condiments and stuff. Right? Well, yeah. No, I as usual I had to turn it into a side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> hey McDonald's, I'll sell you your condiments for half the cost. might be a little old but no but I think it's an interesting concept but what stood out to me in the article was, and I I do from an economic standpoint it does make sense if the cost of housing goes up um, the different layers are going to end up buying the, the, the housing you know so middle class ends up buying 
what they can afford, which happens to be the stuff that... So what, what this was basically saying is that gentrification was happening. But yeah, I... But, but they didn't the mechanism call. the mechanism by which that happens, happens. yeah is the it, they well, have to look they have to look themselves in the mirror eventually yeah well you know the other they thing is, is, is that yes math is hard but it's not that hard um, they got to figure out how to you know Lord they have Stanford they have you know all the University of California colleges somebody in there must understand basic math <laughs> and can tell them that, look, we're causing our, you know, all of these issues and things you're doing are, are causing... The problem is, it's in reality, it's a math problem. In, in the perception, in, in the public perception, it's, it's a compassion problem. It's an emotional problem. And it's a, if you just give a little bit more problem. Yeah, we can solve this problem. We could solve this problem. And, and the problem with that whole mentality is, is that all that does is... Say, everybody take a drink every time Matt says problem. It, it, it perpetuates that cycle. Yeah. That's it, all there is to that. Well, and, and frankly, if you just leave it alone... Um, because the wealth is moving away from California. Sure. Which means... But again, they're Californianing my Ohio. Yes. Which... Not just Ohio. Uh, what, you, you get that that's a catchphrase, right? Oh, I know. My point there is, is that they're not learning their lessons. They're getting fed up with the nonsense going on in California. They're moving to Texas. They're moving to Tennessee. They're moving to Ohio. They're moving to wherever they're going, and they're taking that same flawed mentality and recreating California wherever they go. But what I think you're finding is that the wealth, the people who have wealth, or the people who are smart enough to know to leave, who don't have wealth, which you're seeing move to places like Tennessee and, and Texas and things, are finding that the economic climate is so much better that they're actually changing their attitudes in a lot of respect. A lot of the issue with what we're finding in the Midwest with the Californication of Ohio, mind you, is you're finding um, people who are moving here who are not finding the all of the economic benefits that you would find in places like Texas and, and, and Tennessee. The reason for that is is that we have a political class who has become enamored with the Californication I agree. Of, of their state. I agree. And the sooner we, we come to terms with how much a miserable failure... California, New York, Illinois. We're not going to fix those problems. <coughs> yes. So, I think that can kind of ends our discussion. We're at just over two hours. 
Uh, if you live in Ohio, vote yes for issue one on August 8th. I endorse. Get out to the vote. Stop the Californication of Ohio. Um, we also would love to hear your feedback. This is episode 227, so uh, go to www.gizmosapiens.com. There's a feedback link. Click it. Send us some feedback on this episode. And uh, we'll see you on the digital flip side. at our email address at gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you, and we'll see you next week from the digital flip side.